This is Rugga Matrix America. Welcome everybody to the show. This is Alex Gall from RugbyMag.com, joined as always by Pat Clifton from RugbyMag.com and Bruce McLean, now new head coach of Iona College. So congratulations, Bruce, on that. And and we're also welcoming a brand new sponsor to Rugby Matrix America as Irish Rugby Tours is on with us, and we're very happy to have them with us. So guys, uh, first of all, Bruce, uh, you got a new job coaching at Iona College. Well, not really a job because it's a volunteer thing, but it is work, so it's kind of a job. Volunteer jobs are very easy to get, but... um. I'm really excited. I'm working with a good group of guys, and Fife and Tim Downey, who were coaching there prior. Pat Pat played for the New York AC. He still does play for the AC. He has a high aspirations. He's quite a good player, and Tim Downey is has referee aspirations. So they kind of let me in to do some things, and I recruited some people: Phil Bailey, Fury Scrunchy, Paul Denver, Paul Burke and uh, call Maresca and put a little bit of gray hair on it, and uh, we'll see what happens. The thing that got me excited about the possibility, A, I miss doing coaching, and and then being good friends with Tim O'Brien and John Everett, it's it's essentially the same type of school as St. Mary's, so we do have the ability to turn the program around pretty you know, reasonably quickly. I'm going to say it's going to happen overnight, but reasonably quickly. So it's fun. I'm enjoying so, it. So it's been at it for a week, but, you know. You're putting a little gray hair on it. I'm assuming you mean someone else's hair. Uh, yeah, well, the hair I do have is, is, is getting gray or relatively gray, but what I mean by the, the gray hair is that Pat and, Pat and Tim were 25 and 26 years old, so... Having, you know, I'm I'm more the age of the parents of of the students and the other coaches outside of Bailey's in his mid thirties, but the other coaches are are basically the ages of the parents. Carmaresk is in his sixties, Fury's in his late fifties, and Burke and Denver went to Xavier with me. So that's a uh, that's pretty. It's it's what it's it's what we call in what we call in sports reporting a wily veteran. I'm excited. Not everybody can commit full into it. I will be full into it, full metal jacket. But so I need the help of other people, and we'll talk about that. How what we're going to do and how we're going to go about it. So it's very interesting. And then working, you know, talking to people like Doc Jones and Tim O'Brien and and John Everett, and those, and that really is very helpful. You know, I, I, I don't think I've ever done full metal jacket in anything. I did do uh, go into something where I went full linen sport coat, but that didn't go as well. Uh, we'll be right back. We're going to take a break for a commercial, and we'll be right back here on Rugby Matrix America. Hey, everybody. This is Alex Goff from RugbyMag.com, and I want to ask you a question. When was the last time your team took a tour? You remember how fun it was, you know, the games against teams you'd never seen before, experiencing a new culture, the camaraderie, and team bonding. It was great. Wait, you haven't been on a tour? Well, maybe you should. 
Irish Rugby Tours has been involved with American rugby since 1985. Owner George Hook offers a personal and dedicated approach to all tours. He wants to make sure you play competitive games, see the sights, and enjoy every minute of your trip. From high schools to clubs and from colleges to the U.S. All-Americans, Irish Rugby Tours is the tour operator of choice. Ireland's premier rugby tour operator gives you on-the-ground and local support. They have the best value around, and they can set you up with coaching sessions with top international coaches. They don't just send you on the tour and leave you alone. They make sure it all works out from the beginning to the end. Go to irishrugbytours.com to see the list of American teams that have enjoyed tailor-made packages from Irish Rugby Tours, or check out their ad on rugbymag.com. Don't you deserve a tour? IrishRugbyTours.com. And we're back here on Rugby Matrix America. This is Alex Goff with RugbyMag.com. Don't forget to check out the, I really hope, almost soon revamped RugbyMag.com. And you can also buy our year in review, 2013 year in review. Very exciting. It's printed on real paper and everything. And go to RugbyMag.com to check that out. Uh, guys, we're, we're right in the middle um, of the the basically finishing up the first half of the international seventh season, the USA national team is wrapping up a, a, a fifth straight tournament where they haven't made the top eight. Uh, they've won a couple of shields. You know, we're, we're talking we're, we're talking about shields and bowls these days. We're not talking about the plate. We're not talking about thinking about the cup. Uh, we got came out of Vegas. Uh, the Eagles were in an easy, well, not an easy pool. You, you don't, you're not going to acknowledge that every, you're not going to say that any pool is easy, but it was easier than pretty much anyone else's. Um, and they didn't play well. Uh, they, they lost a lot of close games. They came close to winning, but they, they didn't really do anything. But they did win the Shield eventually. At the same time, we're watching Canada really look quite solid in finishing third, beating some teams that were, you know, not all that strong, but they did beat them, and uh, they did beat Samoa in the end to finish third, and uh, and that was impressive in Vegas. And then we we go ahead and we we look ahead to uh, to Wellington, and uh, we're seeing the same thing: Canada getting to the top eight, the main rivals, and the USA not winning a game in pool play. So, what do we have here? What have we seen? Uh, I know I, I've I've got my own opinions about it, but um, let let's start with you, Pat, and and Bruce. Um, we'll go with you as well. But um, what are we seeing from this team? I think it's an awful lot of, of team culture um, problems. That you the personnel is not that different than it was last year when they were competing for cups and and winning plates and that sort of thing. You really essentially lost Colin Holly, Blaine Scully. And uh, Matt Hawkins, and you lose Maka Anufe, um, but I, I don't think those are losses you can't you can't rebound from. And there's a lot of experience coming back, so I don't think it's necessarily a personnel issue so much. I mean, obviously the the big change is the coach, right? And I think that the transition from player to coach immediately has proven to be a lot tougher uh, than than maybe Matt Hawkins and Ajumova were, were hoping for when they when this all got off the ground because. I think there's a there's a severe culture issue. I don't know that players have the 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 same kind of um, belief in Matt Hawkins, if that's the way to say it, or, or same kind of confidence in Matt Hawkins as they did in an Alex Magleby. Um, this time last year, 
you look at all the similarities between the team now and the team last year, and they're they're pretty remarkable. Right in line, new coach, uh, a lot of personnel changes in the first few tournaments, uh, not very many wins, and then you know they were able to turn around last year. But I, it, to me, this this team doesn't have the feel of a team that's able to turn around. I think they're a little bit more broken inside. We've got you know rumors of players leaving. There's a lot of discontent with player contracts. There are some guys, you know, in Nate Augsburger and Miles Craigwell that other players there in camp think should still be in camp that, that and their contracts weren't renewed. A couple players, um, as I said, rumored to be leaving on their own volition. And this isn't new. This kind of stuff has kind of happened on and off. But this late into, uh, in the you know, right in the meat of the season, I think it's a little bit different. And I, I just, I think it has a little more desperate and, um, you know, dark look to it or feel to it than, than what we've seen before. Well, you know, when we talk about culture in a team, I think, first of all, what do we mean by that? I mean, generally we mean, you know, are the players getting along? Are they bought into what the coach is, is doing? Um, do they have a sense of purpose off the field? Do they have little touchstones, whether it's uh, certain words they use or certain phrases or a way that they prepare? Um, and and you know Al Caravelli had had a uh, a whole binder about his team culture and how they they tied in uh, a patriotic feel to the team seemed like a great idea and when the team was winning you point to that how that culture is put together and everything works but when the team is losing then people sort of sort of rebel on that so you look you look at at the same time I I want to look at the evidence. And Pat, you mentioned a bunch of things, and I'm not sure that all of those things point to a bad culture, but some of them do. Uh, players complaining and players saying, we don't like what's going on, that points to bad culture. But players leaving the team, well, there are so many factors that, that, that go into that. And, and if they were winning, right, if, if they were playing well and a player left the team or was kicked off the team, what would we be saying? We were saying, here's a coach who's in charge. Here's a coach who makes decisions. Good for him. So, I mean, it, it's it's like maybe he made the right decision by getting rid of Nate Augsburg. I mean, it's the coach. It's the coach's decision, and the and the it's not Matt Hawkins' fault that basically all the contracts came under review at the end of the calendar year, which is three tournaments into the season. How stupid is that? Shouldn't the contracts come under review in July? I I get that, but. You know, there's a, there's more to it, right? In terms of the coaches are gone too. Davey Williams was supposed to be Matt Hawkins' right hand man. He's gone. He didn't even last what six months. Right now, is that is that, is that an indication of a bad culture? Or is that an indication that Dave Williams is not the guy to have there? Well, he, Matt Hawkins has known Dave Williams for years. Matt Hawkins has right. been playing alongside these players and been able to evaluate them on his own for years. So Matt Hawkins was Nate Oxberger's teammate for an entire year. So if he didn't have what it took. Why then is he, you know, and Matt didn't have full uh, autonomy over his selections and who was coming into camp um, when he came took over. I mean, we know that. We know that Nigel Melville had to pretty much resign players on his own before the World Cup. But Nate was on the team, okay? So and I'm not saying, I'm not sitting here and standing up, let's bring, you know, talk about Nate because Matt Hawkins brought Miles Craigwell back into camp. So that's a guy that, that Hawkins brought back to camp that wasn't there because Nigel Melville signed him, and then six months later he's changed his mind on him again. 
So some of this indecision and some of these, let's put this guy in and let's let's uh, let's test this guy here and test this guy there. Some of that stuff you would think when you have a player who has been around and is as familiar with the personnel that he has to work with now as a coach, uh, you'd think some of that stuff you could skip. But we weren't able to skip any of those steps because for whatever reason. I think Hawkins learned that it's different to it's different in evaluating a player as a teammate than it is in evaluating a player as a coach. Culture is what you do every day. That's what it is. How you behave every day. And culture is something that you have to attend to every day. It's not something that you just bang in, you know, you drop your helicopter in or you parachute in and get a little bit of culture and then you leave for four months and culture comes back. So, you know, I think that that's, a tough thing to, you know, that doesn't have a lot to do with all the little touchy-feely things. It has to do with how you behave every day and how hard you're working. Do you have a purpose? Do you have a mastery of skills? Are you treating people right? You know, is everybody treating people with respect? Those types of things. That's culture and, and working hard for each other. That's culture. But it's, it's got to be a daily thing. Again, I don't know what's going on in the inner workings there. There are certain things that I see that that address how this team is addre- is is approaching their sevens tournaments and and what their culture might be. Um, number one, I see a coach who's on the sidelines of an international rugby tournament wearing jeans. I've never seen that before in my entire life, and and um, I think that says something. Um, I see I see I see a team. That jumping up and down and celebrating beating Spain to win the shield. I see a team where a fan sent us a letter that said that she was embarrassed to watch the USA team because of their poor sportsmanship, because they were the ones making highly demonstrative celebrations for tries when they were finishing 13th, and there were teams that were winning that were just classy and quiet and just, you know, congratulated each other for the way they played. And then I'm hearing experts talk about how this team is just in training, not working as hard as some of the other more successful teams. And 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 all of those things, see, those are the things that add up to me to be a team that ha- does not have the high enough expectations, a team that perhaps at least a group of players, some of the players, think they've hung the moon, and uh, you know, a, a, a group where the culture then, what you do every day, as you said, Bruce, doesn't seem to be what the winning teams do every day. Well, I mean, the fact of the matter is they're not good enough. And and it may not, maybe that they don't work hard enough or whatever, but they're definitely not good enough. Um, the one thing I will say, what I did lose my train of thought was there's a big difference between making suggestions and making decisions. That's and true. when you're the head coach, you make decisions. So... It's really easy to throw stones when you're not the when you're not the boss, but when you're the boss, now you're making decisions, and those decisions are kind of under the microscope and under scrutiny. So that could, that's a learning curve for people who don't have a whole lot of experience at it. So okay, going back to the too many cooks thing, because one of the suggestions that comes up is that. You look at how we, – we know how Canada does it. I mean, you, you look at New Zealand, and Gordon Titchens is a legend, and he's been in, in there so long. I don't think anybody would presume to tell Gordon Titchens how to do things. But you look at the Canadian model, and they have 
their National Performance Center. The, uh, Kieran Crowley, despite being the 15s head coach, follows that 7s team around. He's there to help them do stuff. He sometimes seems to be like a manager, just, just carrying stuff. But he's always a sounding board for the head coach. And he's always... that they've, they've got their performance director there. They've got so many elements to their organization who are there to watch how the team prepares and then then talk to the coach about that and say, all right, you, you worked on this. This is how you got yourself ready for this game. Did you think that was the right decision? What? Let's talk about this. Let's break that down. Nobody does that. Nobody did it with Magleby. Nobody did it with Caravelli. Uh, and nobody's doing it, as far as I can see, with Matt Hawkins. And I think that Nigel Melville does help because Nigel Melville likes coaching. But I don't think Nigel Melville helps so much that he, he puts his own brand on it. Nigel frequently will say things that essentially say, that's his problem, that's what he does, I don't do anything. I know, you know, he did that with Mike Tolkien. Tolkien was losing, he said he essentially was answering questions, you're going to have to ask Mike about that. So what, what if we had another cook in the kitchen? What if we had Billy Millard or somebody um, who, whose job was not to coach the team, whose job was not to get the, play, the players to, to win this next game against France, but whose job was to, to watch and, and participate and help, but then later sit down with the coach and say, all right, this is what you're training. Let me show you some video. This is what Australia is doing. This is what South Africa is isn't, doing. Isn't that what Davey Williams was supposed to do and Andy Katoa were supposed to do, but they've been discarded? Well, well oh, Davey Williams didn't do that. Davey Williams isn't a coaching expert. And Andy Katoa was... Well, why hire him as an assistant coach? Matt Hawkins made it perfectly clear that that Davey Williams was there in a coaching position, not as the manager, not yeah. as the fitness guy, as a coach. And he was picked by Matt, by my understanding. And he made the wrong decision. But that's not that's not the same. That's not the same as an overseer who has some authority, somebody who the CEO comes in and says, this guy is an overseer of coaching. Somebody like, you know, you look at Richie Walker, who's at the OTC right now, somebody like that. I mean, Rick Suggett would be better at that than perhaps coaching the women's team, frankly. In order to have that happen, you need an enormous amount of trust. And under the current administration of the U.S., nobody trusts anybody. So how in tarnation are you going to have somebody go in and oversee? And that, that's not going to create a better environment. It's going to create a worse environment. It has to be full-on, full-out trust. But nobody's allowed to make mistakes, mistake. Mistakes of things that help you grow and get better, but we treat them as things to be stamped out. People don't get the chance to improve. We don't have a way, a pathway for anybody to do anything. So I can't, this, Hawkins has done a lot of good things, especially in terms of the world-class athletes and things like that. So administratively, he's done some pretty good things. I don't exactly know who the problem children are or whether it's him himself or the structure of, of everything, but seemingly people are looking for alibis. And, and John Wooden basically says it, that everybody has an excuse. It's when you, it's when you use the excuse and you, and you create an alibi for yourself that you're a loser. That, so anybody can come up with a reason that things didn't go your way. And 
until when you start using those excuses, then you're a loser. And that's seemingly what some of the players are doing. I mean, and, and definitely, you know, um, the head man in charge hiding his head in the sand and going back to the fort to the officer's office and letting the guys fight in the infantry got a lot of help. And so you can't have a person just go in and generate trust. Trust is built over years. So that'll well, destroy the culture unless you fire everybody and start anew. But that's difficult too. Well, I, I would argue with you, but we have to break for a commercial, and that's totally out of my hands, and I have no control over it. Hey, fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots, Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. We are back with Rugby Matrix America. This is Alex Goff with Bruce McLean and Pat Clifton. Don't forget to check out Rugby Matrix International on RugbyMatrix.com. You can also look at Rugby Matrix America and Rugby Matrix International on the iTunes Store. Uh, we're, we're talking about the, the, the USA Men's Sevens team, uh, which has just not been winning games, has been playing teams that they were beating quite easily at the end of last season, and they've been losing, losing, losing closer. And uh, But, uh, I, Pat, you laugh at me about this, but I was right last time when we talked about this, and we talked about it uh, r- just about a year ago, and I was talking about Wellington and saying that they had been losing badly to teams, and then they were losing closer. You said that was pointless, but it seemed to me that was a step towards a progression, and they, they made the top eight in... Uh, in Vegas, and then they made the top eight in Tokyo, and they made the top eight three more times. So, uh, uh, two more times, excuse me. So, I, I think I think there's something said said for that. But I, but I wanted to look at what Bruce said about you know there are certain there are good things that Matt Hawkins has done, and um, I I think that it's fair to say that there is a method to his madness to a certain extent. It's quite clear to me that he feels it's important to get as many players time, not only with the national team on the circuit, which is something Al Caravelli used to do a lot, but give them time on the field, which is something Al Caravelli didn't do very much, is he'd, play a, he'd take a guy and give him three minutes in the tournament. So we've seen, I, I mean, how, how many people have we seen not only make their debut this season, but play a full game? You know, you... Uh, Ryan Mattias, Steve Thomasine, and and Pat Blair, and Madison Hughes. That's not really any uh, different than uh, what Hawkins than what Magleby did last year, though. Magleby right. did the same thing with Isles and with um, Augsburger and with a whole bevy of Teo. The same thing. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. That's true. Uh, so at the beginning of the year, they weren't doing very well. They did get a little bit better. The question is. What else needs to be done? And I and I think we talk about culture. We talk about coaching. Um, I think tactically, the USA team needs help. I think skills. I mean, simply simply put, that I don't think they I don't think they attack other teams, especially defensively, much at all. I think that they need work on their skills, and it's a very simple thing. But if you watch the national, if you watch the, the Eagles, and you watch one of the better teams, you watch South Africa, 
and watch them pass. The USA players who are catching the pass have to stop running to catch it, or they have to jump up in the air to catch it, or they have to turn around to catch the ball. They almost never catch a ball on the run or accelerating into the ball. And that's a skill issue. That's a how much do you practice your passing issue. That's how much do you care about your passing issue. And to speak to you, Bruce, and the way you talk about coaching, that that all that t- takes is effort. That's not a – I mean – passing you can learn to pass right i mean maybe you don't have a pass that goes 20 meters but you can learn that you whenever you pass to someone you lead them right and it just takes time the skill of passing it, it's one thing to do it in a drill it's one thing to do it in a drill at speed it's one thing to do it in a drill at speed under fatigue the, the key is to be able to execute the skill under competition condition that's where things break down for most coaches in practice is they start by teaching the skill, and maybe they do the skill at speed. But they never get through the five, six, and seven steps that get to performing the skill at speed under comp- performing the skill at competition, under competition conditions. You know, they may be great passers if you looked at them in a, in a drill, but once you got a guy in their face, as, as Mike Tyson says, everyone has a plan that they get punched in the face. Guys, this, the, this team was good enough at passing Three months, you know, nine months ago to beat Fiji twice, to beat South Africa. It's not like we just all of a sudden got worse at passing. And, and look at the tapes. Their, their passing was better. What, what, what has changed that their passing now stinks? Are the standards lower now? Do they go? They're so, they're so young in training and training right. They're so, they've only been, they really have only been doing it for a short period of time that They've let it slip. New Zealand has been doing it the same way with the same, mostly the same players under the same coach for so long. It's ingrained in them. I don't think it's ingrained in these guys, and they get to getting sloppy. Well, I mean, I, I, I think it's. I think I beg to differ. I, I, I don't know that they're getting sloppy. I think that there's a lot of things, right? It's, it's obviously a mental game. There's a reason why sports psychology is a trend now. But the reality is, is I don't think that this team is a team. I, I don't think it's unified. I don't think it's gelled. I don't think there's a unity of purpose. And I don't think there's a sense of purpose. I don't think that they're out there. As Zach Test talked about, you know, in Vegas, in, in a quote we used in an article leading up to Wellington, I don't think they're laying it all on the line for each other. They're not. I see guys not passing the ball to somebody who's open, making selfish decisions. And we see it over and over again. Uh, I don't think this team is playing together and playing with a sense of unity and purpose. And, to me, that I mean that that ultimately falls on the coach and the uh, the senior team leadership, and how the senior team leadership comes together and performs and acts ultimately falls on the coach. So uh, the personnel hasn't changed, their passing ability hasn't changed. I think what's changed is a commitment to play for each other and a commitment. I, you know what? I really do. This time last year, people were playing for their contracts and people were playing for for not getting relegated. Well, Spain is so freaking bad that I think everyone realizes that no matter how, if USA doesn't improve one bit the rest of the season, they're not getting relegated because they can't, they're not going to lose to Spain because they're that bad. All right, so there's one of the factors that's that's kind of mitigated. And another one is, yeah, everybody's playing for their contracts, but now that the contracts have doubled, are they really playing for their contracts as much as they were last year? I'd say, I'd argue no. So I, I think that some of those motivating factors – that uh, were there last year have been kind of eliminated, for better or worse. And I'm not saying that 25 guys in camp uh, 
is, isn't a good thing. I think it is really good because now you're playing for your spot to get on the circuit versus playing for a contract. I think that that's a, one of the, the probably the best thing that Matt Hawkins has done is, is bring that many guys into camp. But I think there's, there's a lot missing from last year, and, and none of it is – I think we're looking maybe a little bit too big picture on some of this stuff. It's pretty hard to have 25 guys and one coach, though, especially when he had two other coaches that he supposedly was trusting. So something's, something's up. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, Dave's been around for a real time. I don't know Andy, but I would say that I don't know what's up. And, and, and something's definitely up. And having one coach with 25 guys doesn't give players enough individual attention to grow and get better. It just becomes more of you just kind of doing things and going through the motions when that's the case. You need eyes on people. You need to, You need people to feel like they're being evaluated and given feedback. It's hard to do that when you're just one dude. So it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting way that we're looking at this in different directions. I think that, um, Pat, you're, it's, it, it feels to me like you're looking at certain decisions that Hawkins uh, made as an indication that there's a problem. Um, and, and, well, uh, I, I think, and, look, and, I think it ultimately falls on, on Nigel because, show me anywhere where you've taken a player and transitioned him directly into a coaching role with the guys he used to play against and it's worked successfully. Okay. There's all exceptions that prove the rule, but I'd argue that the rule is that it doesn't work. All right. And so that's not Hawkins fault that he got hired. I'm just, and I'm not saying that Hawkins can't turn it around. It's just going to take time for that transition to change because no matter, I mean, you know, I don't know it. I haven't talked to Shalom Sunula, but I don't have a, a scoop. But I have a hard time believing that Shalom Sunula wasn't one of the top 12 players the entire first half of the season. What I do believe is that Shalom Sunula was Matt Hawkins' peer and fellow veteran and really right, maybe perhaps more because, you know, he was a captain for a long time. So I believe that he was his peer and there was a rub when Hawkins all of a sudden became his coach. Now, this is pure speculation on my part. But I think that that transition is really what has to blame for the the with the rel the team falling so far from where it really was in the spring. I think to me that's the biggest issue, and I'm not saying that it's Hawkins' fault because it's not necessarily his fault. And I'm not saying he can't come back from it and be the coach. But I I'm pretty sure I said this before he was hired. This transition could take some time, and the reality is, USA doesn't really have all that much time. Uh, but no, it seems like they do. It seems if if Spain is that bad, then this seat whole season is a mulligan, so that they can work on something. But what you know the the funny thing about this is, in the search for a 15s head coach, when um, we were talking about whether you know th- this was when. Um, when Scott Johnson left, and there was a search for a coach that ended with Eddie O'Sullivan being hired. And I talked to Nigel Melville about getting an American coach, and he said, well, who? Who, who can we get? They're not experienced. And he, uh, he said, you know, when he hired O'Sullivan, he said that, that at the time, part of his job description was to help mentor his replacement, something that didn't really happen. But when there was a search again for a head coach that ultimately ended in Mike Tolkien being hired, uh, I know that there was there were a couple of candidates out there 
who were asked, well, what kind of international experience, what kind of experience do you have uh, that would point to you being the national team head coach? And the answer was, what experience do you want me to get? Where is there a chance for a, play, a, a coach in America to get experience that says that they've, el they've eliminated select side play for the most part? Where's the chance for you to point to say, well, I coach this team here in this, and this puts me in a pool with seven other coaches who all coach those kinds of teams, and so we're the ones who are pushing to be national team. There's no experience. And and Melville talked to me about some of these players and said, you know, have you seen that guy coach when I'd suggest a candidate? And I said, well, not really, kind of. He said, well, you know, you should see him coach because he's not really, I don't think he's, he's there, and he needs more experience. Or someone like Dan Payne, might be a candidate someday, but he needs more experience. All of that stuff seemed really valid to me. Um, I'm not sure I agreed with it, but it seemed valid. And then we had an opening for the sevens team head coach, and we picked a guy who had never coached anything other than kids at camps and a college team for a season. And may and maybe a men's what well, um, you know the uh, old Aztec sevens team that for for a summer that was it. Now I'm not saying that Matt Hawkins, I mean Matt, like you said, Bruce, Matt has made a number of really nice decisions, and he's looked at the program, and I think actually his idea of what the program should be is good. I think tactically he's naive somewhat, and I think in terms of his. Uh, his being the face of the team. I actually don't think he's ever doing a very good job with that. Uh, but that's my problem. That's Pat's problem. I don't think it's really the fans' problem. Uh, but but I think that he still got thrown in there, and he didn't have anybody with him who was supposed to help with the transition because the, the one guy who was really supposed to help him along was actually not the guy to do it, and that was Dave Williams. Just not. He's just not personally equipped. He's not the person to say, let me help you be successful in, by the way, a job I think I should have. So, wh who's at fault? Yeah, Nigel Melville, the leadership, for going against their entire view when it comes to the 15s team, which was hire someone with some experience. Let's really push to get coaches experience. There's no push to get American domestic sevens coaches any experience in international uh, coaching, except for Tony Pacheco. And let's do something to sort of build up this base of of coaches. And then if we get someone who's untried, who's green, and Matt Hawkins is for as a coach is as green as a pool table, let's bring in somebody to help him. Somebody who's got a little gray hair on his head, Bruce, and who has been around but doesn't want to be the head coach, but does want to be able to say, this is how some of the other people do it. This is how other people do it. I can bring in some experience. I can bring in some knowledge. Hey, I'm friends with Paul True. I'm going to call him up. And we haven't done anything to that. So Matt Hawkins may be doing a poor job. Maybe he's doing the best job possible. Who knows? But he's been given not enough help. Well, we, we, we don't have any, any answers, uh, but I think we've, we've delved into it a little bit. I think it's much more complicated than put this guy on the field, put that guy on the field, or kick to the left when you should kick to the right. Uh, and and we'll see how this team develops, because it still has some time. It has a very small cushion to uh, survive in the series. But perhaps, perhaps it's cushioned enough for Pat Clifton 
and Bruce McLean. This is Alex Yaw thanking you for listening to Rugger Matrix America.